This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. You're listening to Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Welcome back to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined remotely via Zoom meeting one day. I'll be in the same studio with Americus again, but I'm joined by my co-host, Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and a brand identity theorist. Hello, Americus. Hi, Barbara. So you know what? It's interesting because there's a lot of talk about brand services, products, organizations needing to do good. And I know we have initiatives here at the Wharton School looking at social impact and the extent to which having a purpose uh, directly and explicitly built into your brand DNA is argued to be kind of where things are going. And one way at least to connect very deeply with consumers who believe they share those values. So what would be particularly useful is if you could help me out, Barbara, Help me get some insight into this brand purpose thing, maybe even a case study on how to do this the right way and or the best practices associated with this. Have you got anything for me, Barbara? Uh, you know, <laughs> just an amazing coincidence. And I have to agree, though, before I introduce our guest, who just so happens to know this stuff. That is the way we're teaching branding now, right? I mean, right. the way we're, and you're, I know you teach a lot about identity and all that other stuff, but a lot of what's going on is this new definition of what a brand is and even it's redefining what a company is Mm -hmm. so what we have with us today someone with a very very special guest she's an alum of our school she's a doctoral student from the wharton school um, very successful but an unusual uh career path for some of our doctoral students and by i have to say because she's one of our most successful ones um in our in our zoom studio uh we have barry harlem who's not only a successful C-suite business leader, she's been, and she can tell you where she's been, but she's, I mean, just mentioned, she's been at BJ's, Hudson Bay, CBS, done incredible things on that, and we could speak for hours. She also was a professor, like most of our PhD students, and now she's on a whole new adventure. She's the co-founder of Trouble, which right as you were discussing, is a pro-social experience brand, which is focused on gender equity. So that's like a whole orthogonal path to her complicated past history. So Barry, we're so happy to have you here with us. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So let's talk a little bit. So you got you graduated from the Warden School, one of our star students with our illustrious colleague, Len Lodish, as your advisor. Um, and those of you who are listening from Wharton Land, I'm sure a lot of you remember or know Len Lodish. Um, at any rate, and you went from here straight to Columbia University at, to be a professor, and then you just gave that whole thing up, right? <laughs> and you went from academia to uh, CBS. Uh, you want to talk just a little bit about your role at CBS? Because there were some really interesting things that happened. And in some sense, I would even venture to say that might have, that way of CBS thinking when you were there is kind of a little bit of a, uh, you know, starting to think about these things from a different point of view. Yeah, absolutely. And I went to CVS actually on a sabbatical year, and it was because I was doing research on loyalty programs as an academic and trying to understand 
were loyalty programs something that worked? What was their purpose um, for a company and for a business model? And what were components of good programs and bad programs? So that's what sort of led me there. And then I eventually joined the company when they decided that it was time to launch the program chain-wide. So the program had been in test for many years. Um, the company, CVS Health, was and remains a very data-driven, results-oriented company. And um, in this case, they tested for a long time. Some people might argue uh, a bit conservative on the testing front because the program was in test for five years. Um, and the joke was that it was the test that just wouldn't die. So anyway, it did eventually live and live in a big way. And um, I went there to be the person that led the effort to launch the program chain-wide, which was um, a really exciting initiative for the company. And the first time that the company was really in a position to be able to do direct-to-consumer marketing um, in, in a robust way. And that was really exciting for me, given my data-driven Wharton background. You know, it's interesting. So CVS Loyalty, I can't imagine anyone in the U.S. hasn't heard of CVS Loyalty program. Steve Hoke, who was an old colleague of ours, and he retired also, he used to say, CVS knows what I want to buy before I'm ready, and <laughs> I, I have to take their coupon on the way to the store because it's exactly in the right place at the right time, which, of course, is the definition of a really successful loyalty program. So that, that's amazing. And CVS, I mean, there are obviously other loyalty programs, but I got to imagine CVS is one of the ones most people benchmark on. Mm -hmm. And just in, you know, just in foreshadowing what we're going to discuss with Trouble, CVS did do something right around the time you were there. I, I, you were involved with the loyalty program, but what, weren't you there also when they made the decision about cigarettes? Yes. Were you there? Then? I was not there. I was oh, there when the discussions had begun. Discussions. It was, mm -hmm. it was a, uh, long time coming and um the the concept of doing away with cigarettes and being the first pharmacy to live true to um that kind of a move a bold move given that it was a billion dollars worth of sales just on cigarettes alone mm -hmm. um, was accelerated when the company became much more of a health-oriented company mm -hmm. with the acquisition mm -hmm. of Caremark, which is a mm -hmm. pharmacy benefits manager company. So right. that tipped the scales to be able to make that move, but it was something that was discussed for a long time. And from a purpose point of view, it was very clear that the company wanted to do it. From a business shareholder point of view, there mm. was a lot of discussion about how to do that in a way that really did reflect what was in the best interest of shareholders. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting thing, America, because when you're talking about some of these purpose decisions and political decisions, we've often talked about it polarizing consumers. Right. But you could be making a decision that's turning off, as it was in this case, a significant amount of business, and mm -hmm. not only business, but drivers to the store. You know, a mm -hmm. cigarette smoker goes to the store to buy cigarettes, and then they buy everything buy else stuff. Yep. when they're there. Mm -hmm. um, from a shareholder point of view, that was probably a pretty controversial decision. I know Walgreens didn't follow suit. And I think right. just to build on that point before you jump in, Barry, it's it's very interesting. I, I use CVS in my class when I talk about really innovative branding sorts of situations. And I think that was a very nice example of saying, you know, if we're, we really want to reposition ourselves as a health oriented company, because we want to kind of get in people's minds uh, on a perceptual map uh, without the word pharmacy, which implies you go 
do you go to the place, you go to the pharmacy when you're sick and you want to fix something uh, to a different kind of position that says, let's be proactive about doing good things from a wellness perspective uh, that prevent these kinds of things from happening, which is kind of the idea of the notion of CVS health. And what a bold move. I mean, I love talking about it in my class in terms of, you know, really being very serious about a long-term kind of approach that's going to, you know, lose some sales initially because tobacco products and what Barbara's saying about, you know, all additional correlated purchases that happen. But I think it does sort of point to, Barry, this notion of kind of the initial uh, seeds of the proof of concept of really believing in something and building that purpose, that something into what you're doing in a very deep way. So is that kind of part of where this journey for you that Barbara was describing was that a little bit of a catalyst for that kind of thinking, or were you already kind of seeing that thing in terms of uh, what you wanted to pursue a little bit later on in your career? Yeah, I think um, extra care and even just basic marketing on thinking about what consumers' needs and wants are as kind of the origin of what marketing is meant to be um, and, and I think is where successful marketing lives is starting with the customer, thinking about what they really care about. And extra care was meant to be a way to emotionally connect with customers via understanding more about them. And the way that they reveal that is through their purchases and other ways, but that's a very strong indicator. And up until having extra care, the company and many retailers don't have a view of what their customers' preferences are. So mm -hmm. if you can get that information, then you can use it in ways that are gonna be valuable to the customer. And if you do that well, then obviously you're gonna be able to develop a more relevant um, emotional connection with them. And that really was the beginning of extra care. And I think very much the beginning of even my doctoral work, which was about trying to understand how consumers make choices what matters to them and and how do you then use that understanding in ways to help it make it make customers um, be able to make the choices they want to make in an easier, less friction kind of way. We're talking to Barry Harlem, who is a Wharton grad, I have to say that first. She got a PhD with us here in the Wharton marketing department department. She's a successful C-suite business leader, a marketer, an educator, and an author, but she's here on the show to talk about the, the fact that she's the co-founder of this new company called Treble, which is a pro-social experience brand focused on gender equity. And one more thing I want to talk about before we get into Treble, and that's the pivot that you made after all these, you know, you did so many things, we can't talk about everything. But your job right before you did Treble, you joined your former bo boss from CBS at Saks, right, or Hudson Bay. And Boy, go from drugs to luxury. I mean, and you were right there, right pre-COVID. You know, you kind of left right at the right time, but you were in the world of the declining department stores and what's happening to luxury. And so you got to have something to say about that. Um, I do. I think. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that. I mean, it really is obviously a very interesting time now to think about luxury and where it's going to go given um all of the jokes about sweatpants and uh and whether or not any of us are going to put on real clothes anytime soon in the near future and the closet full of shoes that i have that um, <laughs> haven't been worn for for a few months but i think you know when it's going to recover how it's going to recover that isn't something that um i would consider myself a crystal ball expert on, but I, I, I do think um, 
you know, you said going from drugs and pharmacy over to the land of luxury. And, you know, it goes back to the point I was making earlier. I think that if you start with the customer in mind and you start with trying to understand what he or she really cares about, um, what the criteria are that they think about and um, sometimes unconsciously consider when they're making choices and how to really um, imagine an experience that's going to reflect everything that they want and dream about, then you can do that across a variety of business settings. And the chance to do that in a world like luxury retail, where there is a big emotional component and understanding that and being able to then reflect that in how you communicate, how you uh, present your offering to them and how you really reshape the experience in a way for them was a really exciting proposition for me um, to go there and iconic brands with Saks and Hudson's Bay, which is a, a very well-known brand up in, in Canada, uh, the largest operating, uh, I'm sorry, the oldest operating company in, in North America. So it was a really fun experience and there was a lot of opportunity around um, reimagining the way that the company did marketing that um, we were able to shape, which was uh, which was really rewarding. All right, so let's get to. So you left Saks or Hudson Bay like the end of March, I think. I did, and and then that's when you started getting into let's call your second act or third act. I'm not sure what act you're on yet because you had so many different twists and turns. Yes, I call them chapters because yeah. okay, chapters, chapters. chapters. So tell us how you went from being a successful C-suite business leader, marketing professor, to starting something completely different. Well, it, trouble is something that I was thinking about long before I left um, Hudson's Bay and long before actually I even joined Hudson's Bay. Um, but the idea that I've really been lucky in my life to be... Um, I've benefited in in many ways from so many people, and I was born in a situation that obviously, if you put a worldwide perspective on it, is is certainly a privileged place to be. And so, the idea that um, I've been supported by so many people, including Len Lodish, who you talked about um, in the beginning, he's an incredible mentor to me um, over my my professional life and my personal life. So the idea of being able to give back is something that I've always tried to do and, you know, have tried to do that for many years. But to be in a position where I could actually spend a big chunk of my day focused on a business that would be oriented around giving back in an area that to me is a really meaningful one, which is equity for women and girls. And I think that, um, you know, I've been as I said, very lucky to get a lot of opportunities that many people wouldn't. And I think being able to provide that support and that inspiration to other people is something that I try to do. I know a lot of other people do as well. And so tapping into that is something that trouble is all about. Um, it's so all about what trouble is because it's yeah. kind of. Yeah. So trouble, trouble is a brand that. Um, creates a community of people who want to give back and want to support one another. And so we do it in a business way. I know business well. And so we said, Meredith Curran, and, who is my co-founder, and I said, let's try to help advance um, and accelerate equity for women and girls 
but leveraging the skill sets that we have, which are business ones. So if we could generate money that we could give to organizations that are already doing the hard work to focus on accelerating progress for women and girls, those organizations exist, they're numerous, they do amazing work, and many of them are capital constrained. So if we could create a business that taps into that mission, generates money that can go to those organizations to help them move faster in what they're doing, then that's what, that's what trouble's about. It's about creating that community, using that community to generate money that's going to feed the efforts of nonprofits that are so doing- So is it a little like crowdsourcing? Well, it's, it's very much about, um, if you think about it, an analogy is, is uh, Newman's own. Newman's mm -hmm sells products that people want, we sell the opportunity to honor and recognize women who are I troublemakers and ah, use trouble. the profits of that to ah. go back to organizations, nonprofits that are already focused on women and girls. So help us, Barry, understand how, do, how does one engage with trouble to, to help this mission. Take us I'm through so a typical- I'm so glad you asked, America. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to troublemakers.org and what you can do there is purchase the gift of trouble um, or tell a story about your favorite troublemaker. So troublemakers are courageous disruptors who are up to um, creating good changes in the communities that they live in. And so I could honor you and send you the gift of trouble and call you out as a troublemaker mm. with hashtag troublemakers for good. Mm -hmm. And you would get a gift from me and you can wear the badge of honor of trouble um, based on what I've sent you. And mm -hmm. then you can pay it forward. And then we give all of the profits to nonprofit organizations that are supporting women and girls. So you do sell merchandise. I know you sell like pins and water bottles. I have my water bottle actually and hats and things like that. And the idea is really to give it to other people then and to award it to someone else you consider a troublemaker. Exactly. I mean, you can mm. give it to yourself. We, calling yourself out and giving yourself a little gift is fine too. And also very much of it is about honoring and recognizing other troublemakers in your life that have been inspirational and helped lift you up and support you and being able to create the trouble that you make. So let me ask so you this, Barry. Sorry to interrupt, Barbara. Let me ask you this because it's interesting. In some senses, you, you, are, you, are a fo you, you have a focused segment and kind of you know domain of of relevance so so this implies a vetting process if i so will you will will you reject me if i come on and ask to 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 highlight a troublemaker that doesn't fit in the gender equity space or how does this happen is is it, is it just completely open or is it just talk to me a little bit about the segmentation piece there yeah, yeah. Our troublemaker world is broader than equity for women and girls. So gotcha. anybody who's creating good change in the world, big or small, is a mm -hmm. troublemaker. And you can do that in very grand ways and in in very, um, you know, uh, easy um, yet impactful ways. They touch people's lives in various arenas. So the world of troublemakers is not limited to women and girls. But the, um, the money, the profits that we give are uh, directed to organizations that are about equity 
for women and girls. Understood. So, so to how successful have you been? You just started, really, right? So we just what's started. Yeah, we we have. Uh, we'll we launched. Uh, it'll be a month this week. So um, we're coming up on a month. We've sold products in thirty states already. So sixty percent of the states have some trouble in them already uh-huh. in a physical way. Mm-hmm. And um, we're off to a great start. I mean, our, our we launched on August 18th. That was the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. And we were very oh. deliberate about choosing that date. Nice. And, and so, and what kind, have you been uh, capitalizing? Uh, let me reintroduce you just because we're supposed to be doing that. So we're talking to Barry Harlem, who is, as I mentioned, a, a, a graduate of our school. She got her PhD at Wharton, but she went into academia uh, and then she went into business. She had a sweet, C-suite job at many companies you've heard of, like CBS, BJ's, Hudson Bay Sachs. And now she's starting this new company with a, her co-founder called Trouble. And you, it's pretty easy to spell and look up at the website, but it's a pro social experience brand that's focused on gender equity Uh, and really the goal is to provide money to other foundations who work in this field but to do it by creating a community of troublemakers so why how did you get to the idea of trouble why didn't you you know go to like angels or saints or why did you take the word trouble so the the name of the company um came from a family trip that we were on a few years ago in Japan Um, and vacationing in my household is an important thing. Our family vacations are really meaningful and a big, uh, a big part of um, where we get a lot of joy. So we were in Japan and there's two parts to the story. Part A is we're on a train ride. I'm sitting next to a guy from Ireland chatting with him. He tells me he's in Japan for a year and I ask him what he's doing there. And he said, he's there to learn kanji. And I said, really? And he said, do you know any kanji? And I said, I do not. So he said, well, I can show you some. And he took his pen and his paper and he drew a a character for a man and a character for a woman and a dog and a cat and a house. And then he put the man and the woman inside the house. And he told me that was the kanji character for home. Mm. I said, that's lovely. And then he said, and if you put two women, the mm. two characters of women inside the house, that's the word trouble. Is that I true? Said, I said, that's not true. That is not <laughs> true, by the way. That's folklore. But he told me it was true. Uh-huh. And I said, what happens if you put two men in the house? And he said, I don't know. That's not a word. So that, that's part A. Um, and I did believe him when I got off the train, although then I did research and found out that it was folklore. Um, <laughs> But then part B of the story is that we were at a sake brewery and we were in the room where the rice was fermenting and the sake master was explaining the process to us. And in that room were speakers and over the speakers was a talk track and there was some laughter. And at some point during the tour, he said to us, what you're hearing coming out of the speakers is a talk track of Japanese comedians. And we believe that if our rice listens to (laughs) laughter and humor Mm. that Mm. our sake tastes better. Mm. So when we were at dinner that night, I said to my daughter, we should start a sake brewery named Trouble. And instead of the rice listening to comedians, they'll listen to powerful women like 
Madeleine Albright and mm. Serena Williams and Michelle Obama and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And mm -hmm. our sake is going to taste badass, badass <laughs> female sake. Nice. So that was the idea around the name Trouble. Mm -hmm. um, but we obviously uh, pivoted a bit from the sake part. Of yes. It. Yeah. But, but this is this is interesting, Barry, because I do want to get, you know, your perspective on this because you are a C-lead sweeter, a, a C-sweet leader, excuse me. Uh, and so you probably are with your colleagues thinking, you know, the next second, third, fourth chess move for trouble. I want to get your perspective on, you know, you just started in March. Let's imagine you, you, you know, you hit your goals. What are some of the, the, the next phases of the company that you would envision uh, the second, the third chapter, so to speak, of trouble? Uh, do you have any, do you have, can you share with us any of those kinds of thoughts? Because I'm, this is always interesting to build kind of this lifestyle community brand. I always want to know, you know, how does a, how does a, a C-suite leader make it not be a one trick pony? So could you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, of course. I mean, and, and as you said, we launched in August just a month ago. So we um, have been thinking about this for a while, but we launched with kind of the startup mindset. We have a lot of ideas on pieces of paper about where the brand could go. And then we said, hey, we really want to hit this 100th anniversary date because it's sort of a marker for what we stand for, which is we want to celebrate that a lot of progress has happened about equity, but we also want the next 100 years to be much more rapid in the progress than mm. the last 100 years have been. Mm. And as you probably know, the, the 19th Amendment um, date, August 18th, when 100 years ago women were given the right to vote, it was still true that although we had the 19th Amendment, 75% of women of color were not able to mm -hmm. vote because there were all sorts of obstacles that were created at the state level and mm -hmm. in, with other systemic barriers. So the idea that the 19th Amendment happened is amazing and worth noting and marking and recognizing and also thinking about how it needed to go much further than it did when it mm -hmm. got passed. So that's the essence of why that was an important date for us. And we said, hey, in the spirit of startup, let's shoot for that date, let's race for that date and do a minimal viable product. Let's get something out there um, that we can execute and execute well, and we'll build from there. And we're gonna take views from our community about where we go instead of you know just playing the playbook out. But in the playbook are things like um, being the one-stop resource for women to get all the tips and tools that they might need in order to be bold troublemakers in whatever way they want to do that. Sometimes that's very upfront, sometimes it's behind the scenes, but learning from each other and learning from men as well who are very supportive of it. So um, lots of content uh, that doesn't exist today is one area that we expect to grow into. Another area could be the marketplace for um, women and girls equity. So imagine, you know, Etsy, but for women and girls uh, equity, people that want to sell things to a like-minded community that are willing to give a portion of profits back to organizations that support the cause is another direction that we could go in. So those are sort of two bolder directions that that are on um, our agenda. And there's lots of other ideas, but you know, we're going to filter them based on the input from customers. 
I really like the idea of creating this community. It's not only doing good, but creating a community. I really like that. Barry, thank you so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you in trouble? They can go to troublemakers.org. Um, and then you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter, all troublemakers for good. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.